everybody. We're going to jump in here and we're going to try to finish up our study uh, that we've been doing in the midweek uh, time slot, formerly Wednesday night adult Bible study, that we've been going through the Gospel of John. And John tells us we're going to kind of go back over a few things, but the whole purpose why he wrote this Gospel, uh, he tells us in chapter 20, is that these things were written that you may believe, that you may have faith, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So uh, we've come to the very end of this, the last two verses of the Gospel of John. So I want you to find your Bible and turn there. I hope you've been taking advantage. I know we get a lot of views on this, but how many people really take time to get into this? And here's something that we're trying to do. We're probably going to um, put this like on the church website and with it there are these interactive notes that you can use and so I want you to explore that on our on our page that this link will take you to on our church website and uh, because there are going to be a lot of verses and a lot of review and things that I'm going to do and I want you to go back if you have and I want you to take the time to go back and look up some of these passages and some of these signs and some of the that Jesus did and some of these things that happen uh, to review because it's all about getting the Word of God into our hearts as well as into our minds uh, and then into our lives. Now, as you're finding that, I just want to say that as we're coming through May, we're hoping that as we get into June that um, perhaps we're able to begin to phase in some of the Wednesday night uh, classes and small groups and things like that. We've had to be careful on Wednesday night because so much of what we do on Wednesday nights involve kids, youth, teens, and all of that. And we know that the kids don't understand about being distant or being clean or anything like that. So if there's one person that has something, it'll spread you know, all the kids and then they take it home to families and grandma and grandpa and things like that. So we want to be careful. We want to be smart about this. And um, we're going to figure out new ways to do this so that even when we can have some of these Bible studies here, that um, we can provide some of, for you guys who maybe you don't feel safe coming back yet. I hope the day comes that the virus is not an excuse or anything or a fear that we might have. Um, and going into the summer, we're having some that are showing an interest in once again going through the chronological study uh, that we may do. So. Give me some feedback on that. Um, you can send, uh, you know, email. You can uh, send private messages. However, just let me know. All right, here we are. Many other signs, many other things. And that's exactly what John says here. As we wrap up this gospel, he says in verse 24 of chapter 21, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and writes these things. So John's saying, I'm the disciple. Okay, finally he's identifying himself here, but he was there, he was an eyewitness. He's not just telling the story, I was there. He's saying, I saw these things and I'm writing it down. And he says, uh, and we know that his testimony is true. And uh, I'm glad that John, I'm, sometimes I, I kind of get in the habit of, and I do it to irritate people sometimes, refer to myself in the third person type thing. John does that here. So he's talking about himself. Uh, so he says, we know that his testimony is true. In verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So with these words, John wraps up uh, his gospel and bids farewell. 
And so I find myself feeling so close to John after having gone back through this verse by verse, not just verse by verse, but word by word almost as we've gone through this. And, and it's like, I don't want it to end. And Jesus is still there with him. It's right before the ascension. So it's natural that our hearts are yearning for more uh, as we come to the end of the greatest story. This is the gospel, greatest story ever told. Uh, reminds me of C.S. Lewis. As he came to the end of that saga of the Chronicles of Narnia. And he ends in a fashion that reminds me of this. I'm going to read a little excerpt from that book as they come to the conclusion of the story. It says, and as he spoke, this is Aslan, the lion, says, as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before, end quote. And I think that's true. I think that's the way it's going to be as we come to the end of our life. That's really going to be chapter one that goes on forever and ever when we get to eternity. Well, uh, so as we say goodbye to John, I find myself connecting. I find myself a part of this story, and I hope you do too. And so as we go back through some of this, I want to just bring out some observations and I want to give I want to give a credit here because this outline that I put together, I, I had the study sheet and an outline um, from uh, Chuck Swindoll as he went through the Gospel of John and did teaching on that many years ago. So as a younger man, as he was teaching through that on the radio, I was taking notes and using a study guide that I got from them. And so I have to give credit there. It's a great job. So I just want to use that and give credit to that. So first of all, there are three uh, stated facts that we find from this passage right here. So if you look at it, first of all, we find out that this account is selective, not exhaustive. He tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, that if that Jesus truly did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So this only is just, you know, this is just the scratching the surface, as we say. So this account is selective. There are select things. It's not everything. So you got to know that. And then secondly, these events were actual. They weren't mythical or theoretical. It wasn't something that they dreamed up later. And that's what he's telling us there. These are the things that we were there. We saw these things and they're written here. And he's giving testimony to that fact that this is real. And then thirdly, the purpose is clear, not vague. And he said, the whole reason why I wrote this is that you may believe. And that's the root word, the same word we get the word faith from, that you may have faith in, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so that's the purpose. We want to be clear in our purpose. Because you see, preaching is, is not the act of someone just getting up and enthusiastically uh, unfolding their own personal convictions. And sometimes you see that. It's just, you know, something you're all on, you know, about, you know, just get up there uh, there, and I hope it is personal conviction, but it's not just that. It is the duty 
of those who are teaching and preaching to inform people of what God has said. So my takes on it are as important as what it actually says. I want to just bring out what it actually says instead of just on the latest hobby horse I want to ride. I want to bring out what the Word of God says. And that's, that's what John is saying. The purpose here, I'm telling you, is so that you may know the truth and believe it. Okay, God's truth. It's scripture that plays an important role in the salvation of people, not opinion. Okay, it's scripture. And so you've got to get in the scripture. That's why it's so important not to just listen to teachers and preachers talk. You've got to get into the word yourself and understand it. And I just want to pray that God will help me bring out the word of God and rightly divide his word of truth. Now, as we go through this, I hope that some of the study notes that you can click on right there on our web page, as you see where this is, and you can listen to the audio, you can listen to the video, or you can, um, you can get the notes there. And I hope that you'll do that. And there should be some interactive notes there that you can fill in some things. Just try that out because I want us to not just hear this. I want us to study it. I want it to be something that, that helps us grow. Uh, because now we're going to look, just kind of run through a list of some things here in the scripture of signs that he performed. Okay, because if we look, as we think about that, many other signs, many other things, you can go all the way back to the beginning in chapter 2 of this book. When Jesus, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, when Jesus turned the water into wine. Uh, as they were there and they just, you know, they, they'd run out and all they had was water in these water pots and you know if you study the background on this you find out that this is kind of what they use for washing so he can take wash water and turn it into the finest and that's what happened and this shows just different signs about him and his character and his nature that he is master over quality you may feel like you are nothing better than wash water you may feel like you're not much but see he he's the master over all quality he can take your life and turn it into something that glorifies him and then we go on over to chapter 4. And uh, in that story is where uh, Jesus had come back to Cana of Galilee. And there was a nobleman that actually lived in Capernaum, had come up. And his son was dying, and he, beseeching, he was beseeching Jesus to come and heal him. And uh, Jesus told him to you know, go your way uh, because you believe your son's going to be healed. Jesus didn't even have to go there. He didn't even have to. He healed him from a distance. And he shows us there that he is the master over distance and space. God is not limited. We're very limited by those things, but God is not limited. And Jesus is showing by doing this, he's not just a teacher. He's not just a deliverer. He's God. And then as you go on over into chapter five, you find that uh, there's this really unfortunate guy there that is this crazy story that we covered some good long time back that was uh, by the pool at Bethesda. And this person, he makes an effort to emphasize that he had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time, 30, especially given their lifespan at this time, 38 years. It involved, we don't know what all it involved, but it involved some paralysis because he couldn't get up and get in the water, you know, when that crazy thing happened. But Jesus healed the man. And in doing that, he showed us that there's no problem too old. It may be that some of you are thinking that I've had this habit, I've had this problem so long, surely God won't deliver me or God won't heal me from this or whatever. He's telling you right there that he is the master over time. There's nothing that's been there too long that he still cannot deliver, okay? And then as we go into the next chapter, chapter 6, is that famous story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, 
One of my favorite stories. Uh, I can't even remember the first time I heard that because I had parents uh, who brought me up in in the Bible and in going to Sunday school and all of that. And it's always been a part of my life. And that's so important. Uh, but anyway, where Jesus feeds this multitude, and it says 5,000 men, as we know, you add women and children to that. It could have been 10,000, could have been 15,000. It was a huge number. But when he got ready to do that, he didn't just call manna down from heaven. You know, it's like God loves to use the underdog. I mean, God loves to use things that that seem unusable. And so when he gets ready to do this, he calls a little boy, not a man, but a boy who has a basket lunch. You know the story, how that he took the fish and the bread and he multiplied it and fed it to everyone. So in the boy's hands, there's no way he could have fed anyone but himself and maybe a buddy. But in Jesus's hands, he feeds the multitude. So what we have may seem insignificant, but when we put it totally in Jesus's hands and take our hands off of it, there's no limit to what he can do. And right here, he shows us that there's no obstacle that is too large or widespread. And you may feel like, I don't have what he needs. If you give him yourself and all that you have, he can take that and do whatever he wants with it. He's master over quantity and size. It doesn't matter how much or how big the problem is. He is master over all of that. As we go on into chapter 6, we find out... Um, Further, that after this story, Jesus comes to them. They're out in the Sea of Galilee and there's a storm. Jesus comes walking on the water. And when he did that, he showed that he is also the master over nature. Only God is that. Only God is master over all of nature and all of the universe. And then as we turn the page over into chapter 9, uh, we see that there was this blind person that uh, the disciples looked at him and they said, you know, hey, Jesus, this guy was born blind. Who sinned? Did he sin? His mom and dad, his grandparents, you know, because they had kind of beliefs like that. Sometimes we think that way. Uh, and Jesus told us, no, nope, that's not it at all. Uh, but this happened for a higher purpose, that God's glory might be revealed. And in healing this one, he showed that he's master even over misfortune, things that we might think are misfortunate. Um, he's even got a plan and a purpose for that. And sometimes God will change a misfortune to correct it and get glory from that. Sometimes he changes us so that we can accept the misfortune and he gets glory from that. Alan Redpath once said this, and this is a famous quote. You may have heard it. He says, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him, end quote. Um, yeah, that's true. Powerful. So you might feel like in some ways you're in the process of being crushed or really, as we say, going through the mill. Uh, so remember during this time that he is the master even over these things and that he has a higher purpose and uh, he, he sees the big picture. So um, there might be some of us out there that because of some of the things going on in the economy as far as, as well as health and things like that, um, not being able to see and visit maybe some of the people that you want to see because of this pandemic. You know, all of us have had something that we've lost um, from vacations that were canceled to just various things. And um, some of you may not be able to even concentrate. You may be already clicking off of this. Be ready to just go look at something else. Or you've had some pop up come up, you know, on your Facebook and, and you just you're so distracted by it. And, and you can't you can't focus. You know what? We need to focus. We, we get distracted by even trivial things as well as big things. And we need to just focus on him and know this, that he is Lord and he is master over everything. 
So we need to trust him with everything. God, help us to do this. And then we get to chapter 11 as we keep turning the page through John here. And there's that awesome story about how he raised his friend Lazarus back from the dead. And of course, in this one, he showed that he is also master over the greatest enemy of mankind, and that is death. Master over death. So let's apply these as we as we think about these, all of these things, all these signs, and it's just some of them. I just kind of went through and grabbed a few of them as we went through there. All of these signs um, involve human impossibilities, where humanly speaking, it's impossible, okay? The best training, it said, for the development of your faith is human impossibilities. That there are situations that God will allow us to be in that are impossible because it's there that you know that you can't do it and you have to trust him. Otherwise, we would just do it ourselves. And so are you getting in those situations where you don't know what you're going to do, how you're going to come through this? That's where God wants to grow your faith. And so that's part of what we see in all of this. All right. Now, as I move on here, hopefully you'll take time and stop and meditate on some of these things later. The things that he did, he said there's so many other signs, so many other things that if the world, the world itself could even contain all the books that could be written if all of them were written down. And just thinking about some of the things he did, he, uh, as we go through the last part of even this gospel, chapter 13, we're talking about just in the night before he was crucified. He demonstrated humility. Here he is, the Lord of all, and he's down washing the disciples' feet, teaching us how that we were to humble ourselves and serve one another and put others ahead of ourselves and things like that. He demonstrated humility, and certainly he wants us to demonstrate humility. Um, another thing that you see there is he identified with all of their needs. And if you go back and read chapters 14 through 16, that he's trying to let them know that he's going to go away and their hearts were troubled and confused. And he promised them about the place he's preparing for them, about coming back to them. He promised about being the real way, the only way to the Father. He promised them that he wouldn't leave them alone, but would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. His presence, the presence of God would be in them. And so he, he identified with their needs and addressed that in those chapters. And then you come to chapter 17, 18, and 19, we see him as he submitted to death, that he submitted himself to die on the cross for my sins and your sins. He took all of our sins and paid for them right there on the cross. We see that he did that for us. He died for us. Greatest thing that happened on planet Earth in all of human history was right there when Jesus died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and that we can have eternal life. And then that would have been incomplete, though, without what happens in the next chapter as we come all the way to chapter 20, where he rose victoriously over the grave, from the grave, that he was victorious. And uh, he, he uh, demonstrated there that uh, his victory over sin, his victory over death, and um, that he not only wants to give us everlasting resurrection life forever and eternity, but new life here and now. And another thing that he demonstrated here that you see up there is that he demonstrated a lasting friendship with his disciples. After the resurrection, he spent some 40 days with uh, in here before he ascended, and he spent all this time, and this, this 
beautiful story that John gives us here uh, in Galilee where he met with the disciples, you know, and he shared a meal with them. And he demonstrated the fact that even though I'm God, even though I'm Lord, I'm still your friend. And there's that friendship that's going to carry over into eternity that we can all have as he's our, not just our Lord and our master, but our friend. And as we enter into eternity, that friendship that is going to take on a deeper, more personal, I, I don't know how it's going to be, but it's going to be awesome. And he demonstrates that even after his work was finished, he lingered long enough to stabilize and strengthen them uh, for the work that was ahead. Okay, now let's, uh, let's take it home. Are you ready? Let's apply some of this and uh, make some observations as we close this out. All right. So uh, first of all, I think we can bring one thing out here that came from my old study guide, that when Christ is the subject, books and sermons are continually unfinished. Now, one of these days, he's going to put a period on time, but then we've still got eternity. And so John is telling us, I'm not finishing the story. I'm just telling you enough that, that what you need to know so that you can believe and have faith and know who he is. Uh, but when Christ is the subject, books, sermons, nothing is ever finished. He's still working. Secondly, when Christ is the object of our love, our lives are forever changed. And he really focuses in on that love relationship, especially using Peter as the example right here at the end in these last chapters. Um, and, and you know, our lives being changed is one of the biggest truths to the testimony that this is true, okay? Now, the disciples here, as we see also, we're not advancing a myth. That's another thing. John goes to a lot of trouble to point out, hey, I was there. I'm an eyewitness. I'm testifying. He's writing these things. There were other people who had been alive. They could have disputed it. Everybody knew this was true, what he was saying. And you know what? The disciples were not advancing some myth as some would have us believe. Their devotion ran too deeply for that. I mean, very few people would be even deranged enough to die for something that they knew was not true. And these men all gave their lives. As you look at history, this isn't all recorded. Some of it is, but as you look through history, you find out that um, several sources coming from way, way back have recorded information that we don't have in the Bible. And so some of it is tradition. We're not, we can't verify all of it, but tradition tells us that later on, Peter pastored in Jerusalem, and then he was martyred in Rome around AD 61 to 67. It's just like Jesus had said, and that he was crucified upside down. And we also find in the Bible in Acts chapter 12, that James, we're Peter, James, and John, we find that James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded by Herod, and that is recorded in the Bible in Acts chapter 12. History tells us that Philip labored until AD 54 when he was scourged, and then he was imprisoned as a cripple, and then he was crucified also. History tells us that Matthew served in Parthus in Ethiopia. Even, it says, among cannibals until AD 60. And then he was bound and covered in oil and was set on fire. And, and, and it was recorded that as he died, he rebuked the fire by praying aloud, just like his Lord, Father, receive my spirit. Andrew, Peter's brother, it is said from tradition and history that he was a missionary to the barbaric Scythians in what would be modern Russia. And that he was arrested 
and beaten by seven men with rods that he was brought to an X-shaped cross and replied. There's even an old English document in this old English that, that has this, this statement down that he said, Hail, precious cross, thou hast been consecrated by the body of my Lord and adorned by his limbs. I come to thee exulting and glad. Receive me into thine arms that he who redeemed me on thee may receive me by thee. Wow. <laughs> I hope that's true because that is powerful. But that's part of what tradition tells us about Matthew. And then remember doubting Thomas? Well, Thomas was also a great man of faith. And we've all had our moments. Unfortunately, Thomas's was recorded in the Bible. So that we all have read it for thousands of years. But it is said that Thomas became a missionary to what is modern day India, where he was later imprisoned, that he was tortured by some of the pagan priests there, and then later stabbed to death by a spear. And even though he gave his life for the gospel, the gospel continued to spread. And then that there were others among these uh, original apostles sent out directly by Jesus who died violent deaths as they served the Lord. And we know that John was the last to die. Probably by the time he wrote this, many of the others had already died. And he may have been aware of some of it, but maybe, I don't know if you knew all of it, perhaps. I'm sure that they tried to share news best they could in those days. We know that John founded the churches that are in what we know today as Turkey, uh, in Smyrna, Pergamum, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira. And he ministered a long time in Ephesus. And then he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. And then at some point, either he may have died by natural causes or he may have been martyred as well. But we know this, he gave his life. See, giving your life to Jesus might mean that you go, you, you're willing to, to testify to him all the way to the death, that you would die for him uh, as you stand in front of, of people who are wanting to kill you. But it might also mean that you keep living for him until he calls you home. If that means that we serve him till our bodies get weak and frail and we can't go where we wanna go and do what we wanna do, but we just still trust him, if that's it, then that's the testimony. It's whatever he chooses. And we see all of that, I think, here. So we conclude that the author, John, and all the other disciples were far too credible for us to contest their account. And they sealed it with their lives. And so, as I close this study out, I just want to say this. The Gospel of John is one of the most plain and direct and simple Gospels. If you're a new Christian, this is probably one of the best places to start. And this is a Gospel that really helps us know about Jesus and his deity, as well as him being fully human and our Savior. And here's the thing I want to leave with us. It's one thing to go through the book of John. But it's another thing to let it go through you. See, the story's still not finished. Now you can become part of this story. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Ah, just help it to get ingrained in our hearts and our lives. Strengthen us and change us and equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.